0: on it looks like that we have him ready to pull into the studio i'm pretty sure i think this is his number Mm -hmm. so um give me just one second and we will see good evening welcome to night moves radio hello can you hear
1: me yes Yes. i
0: can we can hear you um could you please tell us how we pronounce Uh, your last name if we pronounced it right or not you were
1: close it's just Joshua Palmetier. It's pretty Palmetier. You tried to make it a little too fancy.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, you know, maybe we're trying to make it sound French or something. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what most people attempt to do with it. Yeah.
0: Okay. You know, maybe it so, could be yeah, like Joshua your. Joshua yep. It could be like your alternate like pin name. You make it all fancy. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you so tonight? What's
1: up? What do you guys want to know?
0: Oh what well, we want to know all kinds of things. Um, I, I did go to your website in uh, the other night, and I was checking it out, and I found it interesting that uh, about you moving around and that your father was in the military. Interesting thing: um, the church where I work at, the pastor that's currently there, he kind of went through the same thing. Um, his uh, father was also in the military, and um, they moved around pretty much about just as much as you. So. Um, I bet he could probably identify quite well with you.
1: Probably, I mean, it was it's it's hard and at the same time it's uh, exciting when you move around that much when you're a kid. Because, of course, it's hard because you're changing schools, you know, every couple of years. And uh, like I went to three different high schools. Um, so I started in ninth grade in one, and then tenth half of ninth and tenth grade was in another and then a third is the one I finally graduated from but uh, so social life is kind of hard yeah around that much yeah they I mean, I got friends in lots of different places
0: that's true you kind of uh, know a lot of people
1: the upside is that you get to see lots of different places and experience lots of different things and I think that's uh, something that's very beneficial for uh, writers the more you experience the you know, more vivid your books are going
0: to be. Well, most definitely, I've you've been quite all over the United States. It looks like East Coast, down south, possibly part of the West Coast, but you haven't been to the central part of Illinois. I mean, part of the United States and like the flatlands, such as Illinois, where we're from. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no there's not too many uh naval bases in the middle of the united states yeah <laughs> they usually uh stick them close to water
0: yeah i i figured that but you know i just checking out all the places you've been so you know one day you'll have to you know visit the boring flatlands to see what you've been missing like go to chicago <laughs> or something
1: <laughs> i've been there i've been i've attended a few conventions and like uh well um Chicago, yes, and uh, I went to, like, um, there was a World Fantasy in Madison, Wisconsin, so I attended that one, and so, yeah, I've, I've gotten to a couple uh, of them that are in the flatlands. So
0: yeah, well, yeah, that's what I like to call the flatlands. There's not a lot of hills, so that's what I call it, um, and then I see... Is <laughs> I just
1: think it's funny, because the book I'm currently writing, I have a, a whole section of the of the world called the flat line. Oh
0: really? (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So you teach mathematics and you're also a writer. That's a that's quite interesting. Um, you know, going from like numbers to you know then straight to words. So like how does that work out? I mean how 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 do you kind of go between the two worlds? Well
1: the I guess the the easy answer is that I have a very long commute. (laughs) It takes me an hour uh, one way to get from where I live to uh, where I teach. And so during that hour, that's kind of like my mind switch. I I decompress from the teaching and kind of switch gears and get myself ready for writing and vice versa. When I leave in the morning uh, to go teach, I'm I'm usually, uh, you know, uploading all the math so to speak so, uh, so that I can get through the teaching day. So uh, the hour commute, I think, really, really helps. It's not like I'm home in five minutes and have to sit down and write right after I've done uh, a bunch of mathematics. Yeah. Um, so the hour commute is nice. But I do think the, that the worlds aren't as disparate as everybody thinks they are. Um, I mean, if you're going to write a novel or even or even more so if you're going to write a series um there's got to be especially in the fantasy world there's got to be some kind of inherent like logic behind how your magic works how the world works you know all that kind of stuff so uh so i think the mathematics training kind of helps me create worlds that make sense Hmm. uh, or at least have that sense of you know, this could be real because the uh, because there is a logic behind the magic and there is a logic behind how the world is set up, and how it works and stuff. And then it works in the other direction as well. Um, like to get a to get a Ph.D. in mathematics, you basically have to prove something that in mathematics has never been proven before. Um, you know, and of course, all of the easy stuff has already been proven. <laughs> So, if you're going to prove something in the mathematical world, you're going to have to get pretty damn creative. Um, so, so the creativity and the and the thinking outside the box that that you use to create fantasy worlds and and whatnot, I, I think that comes into play there to to help you with the some of the mathematical problems that you have to solve.
0: That makes sense. That's so, that's- I, I
1: think they help each each other out quite a bit.
0: Well, that's good. That makes a lot of sense. I, I never got along good with numbers. I do good with uh, general math and accounting, but, uh, I was the type of person when I got to algebra and all that. I mean, no, yeah, that didn't agree with me. Um, so I just, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're in the mathematics and you seem to enjoy it and, you know, and, uh, that's great. I mean, I'm sure there's gotta be more you know, people who like mathematics and can teach it well. Cause, uh, I don't know. It just, it wasn't my, my cup of tea, but it's cool for those that are.
1: <laughs> yeah. And in general, uh, people that I ran into that say they aren't good at mathematics. Once I start chatting with them for a little while, it usually comes down to, they had a couple really bad math teachers that <laughs> kind of ruined it for them. And, uh, and because, you know, you can't, you can't do you can't do trig without algebra you can't do calculus without algebra and trig and, yeah you know it all builds on each other so if you get a bad math teacher or two in a row um you're kind of screwed yeah pretty much you need that in order to do the next level of math uh-huh and, uh,
0: <laughs> that's what happened to yeah, me there's no way to
1: recover from that
0: i was uh, gonna take a business math class and i just couldn't get past algebra i couldn't find anyone that could teach it to me well And uh, so I had to like change and I loved computers, So I I was going to go for a business degree and I ended up going for like computer application specialist because I couldn't get to business math until I completed algebra and it never happened. So, yeah. So, yeah, it it did kind of screw me over.
1: (laughs) It (laughs) did. Yeah it can
0: do that. But anyway, it we're not,
1: unfortunate. I, mean, I don't want to bore. A way to recover
0: from yeah. I don't want to bore everybody talking about math. Uh, I thought it's kind of cool how you got your, your uh, start in writing uh, eighth grade and your teacher assigned a twilight zone ish story. Uh, so tell us about that Atlanta story that you wrote.
1: Yeah. the I mean, I always thought English was kind of boring um, <laughs> because they always have you had you write you know like three paragraph arguments you know little essays and stuff like that and uh and then eighth grade i had this uh really great english teacher named, her name was and um and she like surprised me because one day she said you know we're, you, the next assignment is you're gonna write a 500 word twilight zone story you know something that could appear on twilight Zone. And I got really excited because, you know, wow, we're doing something not an essay or an argument or anything. And so I decided to write this story called Quantico um, It's a total ripoff of Atlantis. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's 8th grade. And uh, so I wrote a story about this man who's staring out the porthole of his spaceship as it takes off from Atlantis. And, of course, Atlantis is being... Swallowed by the ocean. I didn't call it land, I called it Quantico, But uh, but I mean, when I sat down and write it, I was like, wow, five hundred words. I don't know if I can do that. But um, so at the time, five hundred words sounded amazing. Um, now, of course, I write five hundred in a day.
2: And,
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, more than that in a day. But uh, but you know, and uh, basically, I you know handed that in, and uh, the. English uh, teacher basically, you know, gave, gave me an A, and then wrote at the top that I should write more. And it was like, it was like the light bulb going off in my head that uh, all of these novels and whatnot that I was reading at the time, you know, they're written by people, <laughs> and uh, one of those people could be me. And, mm-hmm. and so that was that was the big change. Um, that's when I started focusing on uh, being a writer. Cool. And uh, making that little dream come true. Um, but my mom didn't raise any stupid kids. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, she said, you know, there's no guarantee that you will ever get published. And she said, so you make sure you have a job that can pay the bills. Yeah. And uh, so before that, I had always wanted to be a math teacher. So I stuck with the whole math teacher thing. And, and uh, so. To, just to pay the bills and yeah. focused on the writing on the side. And uh,
0: yep.
1: thankfully uh, managed to get both of them to work.
0: <laughs> My dad gave me that same advice. I always just wanted to be a writer. And when I was going to school, he's like, you need a degree in something you, you need to be, a, you know, you need to have a job, you know, cause you can't, you know, always make money being a writer. And I, at first I was younger, I wouldn't be an English teacher, but then I knew I just wanted to do something with office computers or help people. So, but yeah, same advice get a job so you can pay the bills
1: <laughs> yeah it's very good advice yeah i mean it used to be that you know like in the 80s and whatnot that you could make uh living as a writer and you know be a be a mid-list writer you you'd still make enough that you could uh, live off of that but uh, that's not so true anymore Matt. now in order to make it as a writer you can't be mid-list you've got to be you know. Up there, if not a new, you know, best selling author. You oh, know, yeah. Pretty
0: close. That's for and sure. Got,
1: but yeah, that second job pretty important nowadays.
2: It <laughs> sure is. <laughs> um, uh, well, I, I was wondering um, what are your uh, influences that, what are some authors that r- have really influenced you?
1: Um, well, the. the First author that really had a major influence on me um, was Andre Norton. Uh, she's the one that basically got me into reading science fiction and fantasy to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, i w- I was reading I was really heavy duty into reading mysteries, um, mm-hmm. and this was like when I was like 12 years old or whatever. And uh, and um, I was reading Mary Norton, and one day my mom. Was going to the library and I couldn't go. And so I said, I just told her I'd pick up another Norton book. And uh, she didn't know it was Mary Norton. She, so she just picked up some Andre Norton books <laughs> and brought those home. And, uh, and that, once I started reading those, I was like, look, I ditched mysteries completely and uh, started reading science fiction and fantasy. Um, and so Andre Norton's probably the, the first author who into uh, and it took a while before I switched over and looked for other authors besides Audrey I think I read the library out um, of her stuff and, <laughs> and before I switched over. And so the next author that probably influenced me a lot was uh, Terry Brooks.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. The first,
1: yeah, I mean, this was 80s at this point, but uh-huh. uh, um, Terry Brooks was Obviously, huge at that point, um but I read the uh Elfstones of Schnnar first, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of glad that I did because I still think stones of Schnar is the uh it's his best novel. I haven't read some of his more recent stuff, so uh so maybe he's got some other ones in there that would be contender but from his earlier stuff, I would say that Elfstone was uh his best novel, and so I read that, and I was just astounded um probably because it was darker <laughs> and I tend to go dark when I'm reading and writing fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I spent a lot of time probably in college. Uh, I spent a lot of time trying to emulate, uh, Terry Brooks. Mm-hmm. Um, of course you can't get published that way, but uh, yeah. So after Terry Brooks and a long time emulating him, um, I got influenced by like Tad Williams and, and, uh, Guy Gavriel Kay, and Stephen King, of course, was a major influence as well uh, during that time. So those those are some of the big influences on my writing. I tried to emulate most of those. And in the end, of course, you end up coming up with your own voice. Mm -hmm. But I really do think that your own voice is kind of a distillation of all of the uh, authors that influenced you. Oh, yeah. Combine them all in some, some unique way.
2: You you mentioned uh, Tad Williams. He is my favorite uh, fantasy author of all time. I thought the Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn trilogy was just, that that blew my mind.
1: Yes, I, I saw the Dragonbone Chair at the bookstore. It was probably one of the first books I ever bought, because um, I was reading out of the library before that. But, uh, but yeah, Dragonbone Chair, like, blew my mind. Absolutely yeah. loved
2: the Memory, Sorrow, Thor, and Thorn book. Um now and he's returning to him. Yes, he is. Yes, yes. There's a new trilogy that's being worked on now. Um so yes, I'm very excited about that. Um so tell us a bit about uh first I want to talk about your uh your throne of Ammon Core trilogy. Uh what is what is it about uh exactly? Okay, yeah, that was the uh
1: first that I sold to Daw, I sold it to him in 2005,
2: which is mm-hmm. the
1: same year that I got the PhD. So lots of big things happened that year. Um, mm-hmm. But the Throne of Amencore trilogy is uh, it's a first person trilogy, epic dark fantasy. Um, but it's about a um, young girl who starts off uh, barely surviving in the slums of the city of Amencore. And uh, she gets trained to be an assassin, and she uses that those skills to kind of escape the slum. Um, but her first real big job, anyway, uh, is that is they hire her to kill the um, essentially the queen of the city, called the mistress. And uh, the mistress has gone insane, and the reason is because the mistress is protected by the throne. And uh, everybody calls it the skewed throne mm-hmm. uh, because the throne itself is insane. So that's the twist. Is the uh, uh, One of the big magical elements in the book is the, is the throne itself.
2: So the and, throne uh, is alive? The
1: fact that it's insane.
2: So the throne is
1: alive? What was that? I said the throne. Um, the idea behind the throne is that it was a good idea to start with. the the initial intention was in order to help the ruler rule the city um the sort of the memories or the minds of all of the past rulers are stored in the throne and so so that they can help you rule
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you kind of have this inherent like council of past rulers that can help you make decisions and rule right so it sounds like a good idea but of course in the book um so many rulers or so many personalities have been stored in the throne that, it's, in essence, the throne has gone insane.
2: So it's gone and into. So
1: it's, usually, the ruler can sit on the throne only as long as they can stand against the personalities in the throne, and eventually,
2: the rulers end up going insane. So it, it caused the so, throne to go into so an overload, and it couldn't handle all the uh, all the different uh, personalities. Then is what you're saying
1: essentially yes. The, the, the idea initial idea was a good concept but uh but yeah they didn't plan far enough ahead <laughs> <laughs> um t-
2: tell us a bit about uh your um the new series you're currently working on the brand new series or the series just finished up <laughs> the series well uh I, the i i guess um what we're talking about is the, the Lay series
1: Okay, that's the series that's just finished up. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the idea with the lay Series is, <laughs> is uh, everybody now knows that I read a lot of books in the 80s, and so in the 80s, one of the staples to kind of, it kind of screamed fantasy, if you put this in your book, were, were the ley lines. Uh-huh. So these were the, you know, mystical lines that connected the stone monuments like Stonehenge and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and they're supposed to be spread out all over the world, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, so they were in a lot of books in the 80s, but I didn't read too many books where they actually used the ley lines, or at mm. least they didn't use them in a way that I thought was interesting or effective. And so in the 80s, I was like, I will never use ley lines in any of my books. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Unfortunately, an idea struck um, about how to write a fantasy novel that wasn't really medieval. That was a little had a, a little bit more of a modern feel to it. And in order to get that to work, I needed a power source. And so I came up with the uh, Lay series. So I basically, for the Lay series, I tapped into the lay lines and in this society they talked into them and they're kind of using the ley lines like electricity like we use electricity mm-hmm. so it powers their heat it powers their light it, they have like a subway system they have etc cetera, et cetera. so the, the first book in particular is set in like this major city where they're like growing buildings and they have a subway system i mean it, it, it's very very modern City, but it's still a fantasy. Mm-hmm. And uh so the world itself is, is basically powered off of these lay lines. And uh so in the book, in the first book, um well, I guess I'm not uh you follow two main characters. One of them is uh Kara and she's someone that can manipulate the lay. which she kind of like works for the city and, and solves problems that pop up with delay and uh and then the second character is uh alan garrett and he's what, what in the book is called a dog he's basically part of the um, like police force or the army of the city uh, but he's a little higher up dogs are a little higher up than just the general police and basically the story the three books is about uh, these two how they're um lives end up getting intertwined and how even though they're just everyday people, basically that they get completely caught up in the politics of the ley lines and all the political maneuvering that's going on between the barons and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so the first book in particular is heavily political and and, uh, in the sense that there's a lot of little political moves going on, Mm um, but uh, but i I just thought it was really interesting to have sort of a modern fan. <laughs> so yeah. it feels like you're in New York City except that it's still a fan
2: that uh, that's pretty cool so that,
1: that was that was the premise behind that and the and reaping the Aurora, the third book in that series uh just came out in paperback so that that series is uh Finished at this point, and uh, right now I'm working on uh, book one of a uh, new series. So and and what's we'll see where that one
2: goes. And what is that series? What what is? Uh, can you give any information on that at all?
1: Um. Well, it's the start of a brand new series, and it's set in a brand new world. Um, the, the three series that I have out at the moment are all set in the same world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all at different time periods and they all have different characters and stuff like that but they're all pretty much set in the same world and if you read the series carefully enough you can see how the three series are all connected mm-hmm. um, but this one the new one um, I'm starting off completely new completely different world um, and it's, it's kind of have uh, I'm not that far into it so it's Hard to, hard to give any hardcore details, but it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic kind of world. Um, like I said, mentioned the flatlands earlier, the flatlands mm-hmm. are basically like poisoned land. Um, so nobody, nobody goes in the flatlands. And uh, it's very city-centric, a lot more city-centric than uh, any of the previous series. Um, basically, everybody resides in uh, a certain number of cities, and there's um, wayfares that go between uh, individual cities, but it's almost impossible to live outside of the city. You have to have to live in one of the cities in order to survive. So, uh, that's about all I can say about stuff. Okay. And, uh, like I said, I'm not horribly far into it, and I'm not. I'm a I'm a seat of the pants writer, and so I'm not 100% certain of where everything's going.
0: What I want to ask about is your book, Zombies Need Brains, because we all know zombies don't really have them. They're not quite active anymore. So uh, tell us about Zombies Need Brain" because that really kind of caught my attention. I, uh, I've had some weird dreams about zombies, and I've written about zombies myself.
1: <laughs> yeah, Zombies Need Brains is uh, basically it's a small press that I created. Um, and that came about because uh, we, a friend of mine, Patricia Bray, another uh, fantasy writer, we started doing or editing anthologies for uh, DAW. And DAW, the publishing company that publishes my book, um, we started editing some anthologies for DAW. And uh, then there was a big shakeup in the industry and uh, DAW cut back. Their anthology line. So they're, they're still doing anthologies, but they're only doing like a couple a year. And they used to do like six to eight a year. So they significantly cut back on their anthologies. And so for a little bit, um, Patricia and I kind of just waited to see whether or not they'd bring back uh, the anthology line a little stronger. Um, but eventually I, I said, that yeah, doesn't look like it's happening. <laughs> so how can I? you editing anthologies um, because I had a lot of fun with it. Um, so I created the small press called Zombies Need Brain, and uh, we produce science fiction and fantasy anthologies uh, usually centered around a theme and we run uh, Kickstarters uh, in order to fund the anthologies and uh, one of the unique things that I do I think with my anthologies uh, is that we fill half of the anthology with known, well-known, uh, published writers. Um, so like some of the writers we've had in our anthology were like Sean McGuire and Faith Hunter and, uh, Gene Cook. And I mean, we've had quite a few, uh, well-known writers, um, in the anthology. So, uh, that's just a quick little sample. But I've always been a, firm believer in, um, finding new talent in the writing world. And so for each of the anthologies, we always do an open call for submission. So the other half of the anthology, we fill out with this open call and anybody can submit stories to, uh, the open call. Obviously the stories need to fit the theme for that anthology. Um, but we do an open call for each of the anthologies, and then we pick half of the anthology stories out of that open call. Um, and so pretty much, I'm trying to think, I think pretty much every anthology, besides having like a couple New York Times bestselling authors like John McGuire or Faith Hunter or, or whatever, um, we almost always have somebody who's never been published before. Or at least never been published in uh, what's considered a professional market. Um, and I am happy to say that Zombies Need Brains is recognized by uh, Ficla as a professional market. So, because uh, we play, we play, we pay professional rates and all that kind of stuff for our stories. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that makes us a little bit unique. Um, I mean, there's also the anthologies out there, and, and a lot of them have open calls and stuff like that. Uh, but I have, haven't heard of too many that have, like, that half-and-half half kind of aspect to them.
0: Um, yeah.
1: But I, I like
0: your idea. It's really how nice.
1: how we get our anthology funded. so that.
0: I said I really like your idea. No, so it's really man. yeah. It's, I spaced out for a second. No. So I really <laughs> like your idea. I said it's really nice. I like that you know you're publishing well-known authors, but like um, you're also publishing people who haven't been. And then it's all completely funded by Kickstarter, so it's kind of like you're raising money, and then like you're also helping these authors get out there, which is a similar kind of idea I've got behind the New Press I started. So you know I like being able to help people who haven't had a chance to get published yet, and I think that's pretty neat.
1: Yeah, it's. It, it, I've always been a firm believer in that, you know, your, your best stories aren't necessarily going to be coming from, is the well-known authors. Um, often your best stories are going to be coming from a person who's never been published before. Um, so I think it's just a nice way to kind of balance the two. And uh, hopefully, by balancing the two, you end up getting, you know, an anthology full of really good stories. Yeah. That's uh, rather than, you know, a couple really good and then the rest of the kind of bad. <laughs> so, like, why do you call I mean, it I'm it really proud of it? our anthology. It is really awesome. That we, we get a very good and a of stories with a wide range of, like, uh, atmospheres and whatnot. Because uh, we always have a couple of stories, and we always have a couple really dark stories, and we pretty much have stories ranging everywhere in between. So, oh. uh, I think we get I think we some really good anthologies out
3: there. So, why Zombies Need Brains, though? Where'd you get that name?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> actually came from a party that... A bunch of us authors grew at um, World, I think it was World Fantasy up in Saratoga Spring. Um, so there's a World Fantasy convention being held in Saratoga Spring, which is pretty close to where I live. It's like two and a half hours away uh, from where I live. So, you know, I could drive there easily. And, um, and it was close to a bunch of other authors who were kind of like friends of mine. And so we were like, oh, well, if it's that kind of close, and then we should throw a party at the convention. And uh, so we all got together and organized a big party, and we needed a name for the party. And so we called the party Zombie obviously Brain, uh, and that we held it on, um, Thursday night at the convention. And it was a huge, huge, huge party. I mean, we had, um, food and snack. I mean, we had everything. We had, had chips and cookies and alcohol and everything. And, uh, and, uh, it was a really good party. In fact, um, George R. R. Martin, <laughs> this is before HBO, but George R. R. Martin came in and, uh, basically sat down in, in the middle of the, of the party room and he basically held court there the whole night. Um, oh, wow. He was, uh, he was a best-selling author at the time, but the HBO thing had, hadn't happened yet. So uh, he,
2: was, he was a big name, but pretty much a big name in the fantasy world, not the world. <laughs> yeah, I remember the days so, before so That was really cool. I remember the days before the HBO thing, and it wasn't so popular. Now everyone's reading uh, Game of Thrones and talking about it. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, it, it was a good party, and uh, we had a lot of fun. And so when I was uh, trying to come up with a name for the small press, I mean, I thought about stupid things like using my initials, and, you know. Nothing, nothing was very exciting. And uh, so then I said, well, what I want is I want a name that obviously screams sci-fi fantasy. And then at the same time says, we're having fun. <laughs> because, you know, I'm not trying to publish like heavy-duty literary anthologies or, you know, anything like that. I mean, I, I want to I have stories for are fun uh, in these anthologies. And uh, so when I ran across Zombie you know, New Brains again, I was like, that's the perfect name because it, it certainly says sci-fi fantasy and it certainly says we're having fun. So... Uh, I heard it, I was like,
3: okay, that's, that's what it's got to be. <laughs> sure, it's a lot funnier than, than mine. I was, you know, one of those who did the boring thing and used my last name and made it a press and made it Cherry House Press. So, yeah, the thing is, is, I guess it doesn't scream that we're publishing horror, science fiction, or fantasy or collections of poetry, but it's a name that I've had, I've wanted for years because like, I've always wanted to have my own press. So that's kind of
1: why I took the, quote, boring route. <laughs> I call it boring. think it's called boring. think about all the small names that are out there. that. I mean, uh, most of them are, are framed more around like what you were what you did for your trust. Yeah, so yeah, it's not boring. <laughs> it's well, not a boring
3: name at all. Oh, good. Because <laughs> uh, that last name got me. It really comes down to it, what, what you do with it. Yeah, that's Yeah, yeah that's totally true. Yeah. I'll say because that last name got you know some got made fun of a lot as little. So you know I want to make it a good name. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, we've got about three minutes left. Um, how about uh, Josh? Was there anything else you wanted to ask, uh, Joshua? Josh and Josh. Josh and Josh. Josh and Josh. <laughs> Josh should be a company. Josh and Josh. So, Zara, um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, if you want to go ahead and tell our listeners um, where they can find you online, where they can find your books, um, and maybe the next time, if you're going to have a call for submissions for uh, zombies need brains, if you want to do that, spiel real quick. Okay. Yeah. I let
2: you guys know. Um, we usually run
1: the Kickstarter starting in August, and the submission window is usually open September through the end of the year, so September okay. through December. So just keep watching sure. for. Oh, feel free to share a night Radio. You can find, find me at joshuafunnelsheer.com mm-hmm. and you can find Zombies Need Brains at zombiesneedbrains.com. Um, and my books are available and the zombies are available pretty much everywhere on um, Amazon.com and Barnes and Noble. And you can get an indie book on Kindle and Nook and pretty much most of the platforms out there. Very so, cool. Uh, they should be relatively easy to find.
3: And uh, if you want to, when it comes time to start your Kickstarter, you're more than welcome to share uh, your Kickstarter link on Moves radio Facebook page. We'd be happy to share. And also along with the Rift Network as well. We'll be happy to help promote that. Okay, that sounds great. Awesome. Sure. And uh, thank you for visiting our show and coming on the talk tonight. We really appreciate it. And hope that you had a good time. And you're always welcome to come back. Absolutely. (laughs) so good.
1: I certainly had a good time. And I'm glad you guys invited me.
3: Well, yes you're quite welcome and uh, so uh, 90 seconds we'll uh go ahead and wrap it up and um well thank you for coming on and we hope to have you on again soon joshua okay i'll keep an eye out for you on facebook awesome you have a good evening good night <laughs> good night and uh joshua who is our next guest for he next week he is a sword and sorcery author and editor uh, his name is howard andrew jones howard andrew when does he write sword and sorcery okay yeah. well i'm sorry i'm a little spacey tonight i'm kind of like what Sword <laughs> um, and
2: sorcery can be spacey too yeah that's quite, that's quite true probably that's some of it
3: um so we'll be back at the same time next week seven o'clock central eight o'clock eastern i'll uh, be sure to be on the lookout we'll be posting some links for cherry house presses go Funding, and maybe in a few months we'll hear about uh joshua pomenair uh his uh zombies brain <laughs> i like that
2: <laughs> so uh, we'll see you all later next week have a good night good night
1: 10 seconds thank you for using blog talk radio
3: goodbye you okay? yeah I was just like kind of tired I was like that's what happened to me like when I was at uh, school for last night I, mean, I was like sitting there taking notes and then like this wave of tired it's just like uh, hit me and I was like oh that guy's face out and, and I'm like whoops because I was wondering there's, you, I said sword and sorcery you said I went to see Ryan. I'm like
2: sword and sword
3: sorry sorry my bad seriously
2: i'm just like uh, i might have to take that out